0: Business and people, your host, Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Welcome to the Agency Bud podcast. On the show, we talk to CEOs and founders, agency owners and business people about the challenges they've overcome and the steps they've taken to get to where they are. You can follow along at podcast.agencybud.com. On the show, we're going to be talking to somebody amazing. We're going to introduce that person in just a second. Don't forget to check out agencybud.com. Add in our software to your business and increase your recurring revenue with agencybud.com. Let's go and meet today's special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we have a super special guest who focuses, of course, on return on marketing investment. In fact, the name of his company is ROMI. Associates, and we are talking to none other than Craig Taylor, who's the managing director. Now, Craig has been uh, the managing director of of Romy Associates, but before that was actually on the client side as the marketing director of the UK's largest technology company, where he was responsible for hitting revenue targets of 50 million pounds. He's also been the interim CMO and consultants for numbers of mid-sized technology companies. And Romy Associates focuses on the B2B technology sector Only, And he's built an incredible agency focusing on that narrow niche. Craig's also managed to uh, bring Romy through as a HubSpot gold partner and, of course, is part of the Chartered Institute of Marketing. Craig, thanks for joining us on the show, man.
1: Nice to meet you. I think the only thing that's missing is uh, I've never written a book, which I'm guessing probably quite a lot of your guests have. So uh, I tell you what, uh, as,
0: as soon as this podcast airs, you're going to get hammered with all of these people that will help you write their book. I'm I'm absolutely sure of it, but it, um, it'll probably come at some point. Now, when we spoke before, one of the things that you mentioned was that um, uh, you've grown Romy Associates in a very specific. Vertical niche, which is the B two B technology space, was there something behind that unique decision to only focus on a on a on a specific vertical?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a firm believer that you, you've got to have some level of specialization or a niche focus. Yeah. So, uh, and that's typically what we uh, we advise our clients. Um, I think the main reason for that is is just purely down to the fact that my, m- most of my experience has been in that space. So, yeah, I've sure. always worked in the B two B technology market. So think, obviously, having the experience of working for lots of different companies um, and knowing the sector so well, it just, just made sense to, to really focus down on that. And, yeah, um, nice. It, it's a big sector as well, so there's, there's plenty to, to go after, if you know what I mean.
0: I was I was about to say that it feels like, of all of the the sectors, and I know that there's plenty of them, it feels like the the, the technology space and in the b2 b world is such a growing evolving space that y- you know you, you've got plenty of clients to start working even from a startup that somebody's just getting started into that space into the kind of fortune 500 yeah. all into that space you would uh, have clients to choose from. How did you get started in marketing in general Craig like what was the what was the draw for you
1: um it was it was pretty early on I was, I was probably one of those uh, teenagers that had a bit of an idea of what I wanted to do so um marketing was probably something that I I chose as a career from the age of about 16 17 so that kind of was the direction of travel in terms of the um the education I took the degree I took etc so I I did a degree in marketing uh, and business studies Um, and then I I probably wasn't fortunate like some people are that they can go straight into a graduate scheme so I found myself doing a few shitty jobs to begin with Um, and then i uh fortunately got a job as a as a marketeer uh working for one of the uk's first internet service providers okay so that sort of gives you an indication of how old i am (laughs) um so that was something like 20 years ago and and this was in people hadn't heard of the internet so i'd tell my family that i work for an internet company and they're like what what's the internet so it was uh it was quite an interesting environment um mean, i remember sitting next to a guy who's probably a multimillionaire now because all he did all day was register domain names. So right. um, he's probably sitting on the beach in the Bahamas or something, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of, you know, you'd be looking at um, emails and we, we offer sort of email services and it was quite, everyone was sort of crowding around a, a screen watching a, a picture of a cat download and everyone was fascinated by it. So things have moved on significantly since then, uh, thankfully, but uh, it was a, it was a good start, starting point. Um, made a lot of good contacts. There was some quite senior people in that environment that um, sort of took me into their wing and coached me, and uh, that that really sort of set me up well for what came rest, in the rest of my career.
0: So, what do you think has has um, as that as that has evolved? That whole the internet and digital marketing has has changed. What was I guess pre two thousand the the term of marketing was all about billboards and magazine spreads. As, as you've developed into that internet space have you have you felt a massive uptake from clients or has there been the resistance along the way as well
1: um, yeah it's been gradual however I think in the last three months it's massively accelerated of course and, and there's been a, a, a huge uptake in more digital um, just because of the channels that are typically sort of more um Face to face or in person are now restricted or disappeared completely. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a sort of gradual rise. I think there's been companies such as HubSpot that have uh, obviously we're a partner with, but they, they've um, had a huge impact. I think through their inbound marketing um, initiatives and, and just whole methodology that that's sort of really drove forward a lot of thinking in the space. Yeah, uh, and drove a lot of adoption. Um, but I think it, it's still. If any CEO was to say to me what's the most effective form of lead generation or marketing, uh, what's the most effective channel, I'd still say all of them. And it's always about a combination. It's all, it's always multi-channel, so it's offline, online. And you've just got to get the right balance and, and get the integration working as, as, as best you can. Yeah. Um, but fundamentally, you know, the the, the key um, cornerstones of marketing that have always been still apply. you still got to have a good strategy and still very much – for me, the biggest thing in marketing is about getting the message right and, um, and doing your research, doing your homework, and then you know, digital. Whether it's digital, whether it's um, more face-to-face type activity, it, it still comes down to those cornerstones: having a good strategy, a good proposition, and knowing and saying you like it well.
0: It. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As you, as you've moved forward, so uh, working with the, your previous company, where you were, you were. Um, uh, the marketing director there and, and hitting such incredible revenue targets. I mentioned in the introduction there, a 50 million pounds revenue target. That's a heck of a, a milestone to put in front of you. So you're, you're running that, uh, that division for that particular company. What caused you then to go out on your own? What was the, what was the spark behind that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, of course, as as the UK's largest tech company, the the overall target as a as a business, as a global business, of about fifty thousand employees at the time. Um, and I was uh, I wasn't the CMO; I was one of a few marketing directors in the in the organisation. But I mean, the the revenues was in the billions. Um, but I I was um, I worked in various different roles within in the uh, organisation, both vertical and horizontal, as a marketing director and. Um, then I got the opportunity to work in, in sales. So I did uh, a two year stint, two and a half year stint in, in um, working as a sales director with a with a £50 million target and a team wow. to manage. And I've never done any selling before. Um, so Absolutely. I think, it, well, we we, we hit the targets in a very wow, difficult time. Um, but I, I wouldn't sort of say it was all down to me, far from it. I had a very good team and I kind of tried to ensure they had everything they needed. And I think with most salespeople, the most important thing is making sure they get paid for their commission. I think that was one of the biggest things i focused on ensuring happen. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, um, I think any marketeer that, that may be watching or listening to this, I, I think I would strongly recommend if you do want to really get on, Try and do something other than marketing for a short period, yeah. Whether it's a comment or, or whatever, and, and being in sales is, is there's nothing better. Given that the two functions are so closely aligned, so, yeah, definitely. Um, the, the, the exposure to, to sales and customers was invaluable, but also the, the pressure that is put on you in terms of meeting your targets is mm. uh, you know far surpasses anything that you'll ever get really working in marketing. So it can really help to toughen you up as well.
0: Yeah, nice. Craig, you mentioned um, that the two fields, sales and marketing, are so closely aligned. I've I've been running our business for for twelve years and talked to lots of entrepreneurs and business owners. So often, those two areas of skill are bundled together, you know. And uh, I find people say that's our sales and marketing department, and say, really, that's the sales and marketing department together. And I know how closely they need to work together. They they literally don't have a job without each other but do you do you face that as a battle with companies that you're working with you know the salespeople are trying to do the marketing at the same time or are you you know you, you're trying to differentiate the two roles as you're coming in with
1: Romy um yes and, and no I think I think we're very fortunate the clients that we've got uh, that they're, they're, they're pretty sophisticated and they, they they get it so you don't have to spend too much time trying to sort of you know, extol the benefits of, of sales and marketing working together. So they, mm. they kind of get that. I think the, the two roles overlap massively, but they're also quite distinct. Um, so I think, um, you know, there's, there's certain skills that marketeers have that salespeople don't have and, and vice versa. So generally salespeople aren't great producing content. They're not great with technology. Um, marketeers, on the other hand, um you know they may not be as customer facing may not be as good presenting. Um so there's various different skills that um but collectively they need to come together in, in in one team. You see a lot of startups now they don't differentiate between sales and marketing. They just call one growth team. Yeah. And I think that's the way you should look at it. You're all part of the same you know business development function. And mm. you just perform different roles as part of the, the, the buyer's journey. And it's it's how how you interact, how you support each other through that process. Um, it's too simplified to say that marketing just does the top of the funnel stuff and generates the leads and the sales team comes in and closes them um, because I think salespeople will develop their own um, leads if they're, if they're any good uh, and marketing can have an impact much further down the, the buying process at the sort of, you know, the bid stage as well. So
0: nice.
1: I think it's really just about having a, a team that believes has got the same sort of goals. They're, they're heading in the right direction. They work closely together. And, and, you know, um, there's none of the usual, uh, which you do find in a lot of organisations where, you know, sales team will be saying that marketing might generate enough leads or enough quality leads. And the marketing team will be saying we just don't follow them up effectively enough. Um, Constable. So, it's yeah, an, it's a well-scripted, a
0: well-scripted uh, argument. Around absolutely. It, yeah.
1: yeah. And then, you, you know, you still see that from time to time. Um, but I, I think in, in the... The teams that work well together, you know, there's less of that. It's very much about because um, a, a lead is a lead and it's it's how you work that lead. And, and sometimes things, you know, there's no kind of linear path with the lead. Mm, um, it kind of, it's a bit of a zigzag journey and people will delay decisions, come back and, and so on. So it's how you kind of nurture those um, opportunities. And um, I think data can obviously play a big part in that as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Interesting that, you, um, that you're that you finding that more and more startups are bringing that team element uh, together moving forward. When you got started, mate, with, with um, going out on your own, how did you do that initial client acquisition specifically for you? Did you bring clients with you? Did you have an existing network that you tapped into? What was your kind of first play?
1: Well, to be brutally honest, um, I the company I, I mentioned I worked for, I worked for about 10 years uh, and then um my old boss tempted me to go and work for her in another organization and it, it, it didn't really work out. Um, so I was left with the decision where, um, uh, and I was kind of, I've always wanted to do my own thing. You know, my, my dad when I was very young always sort of rammed me at home. That I should, you know, the best way to to get on really is to try and set up your own business. So yep. I was kind of hankered after doing that. And um, so when I, when it didn't work out at that organization, I just felt that um, now may be the time. So uh, and knowing other people that set their own businesses up everyone always says that you, you need a runway if you're going to move from being an employed person to set up your own business you you kind of just don't want to do it from a and start truth but, um so I started doing uh interim work which uh you know and I, I really enjoyed the freedom that came with that um so I started to build up a client base gradually uh through interim work Fantastic. um and then it, it sort of the, the number of contracts and opportunities started to rebuild, really and, and then it f- I felt that um, I had, you know, two choices: either just carried on doing the interim work, and it's kind of it can be feast or famine. Um, so you can have a, a great pro- project uh, or contract for sort of twelve months, and then that comes to an end, and then you've got to find your next one. Um, so I kind of got tired of that and that was sort of uh, unfortunately I always kind of managed to go from one to the next but it, it um, you always felt that at some point you might have a bit of a log so um I decided to go the other way and, and set more of an agency um so then started bringing people on board to to, to work alongside me so nice. that's kind of how it evolved and that and that client base kind of um was all through referrals, all through through my network. And um, now I think we're at the point where we, we need to go beyond that and, and not just rely on that network and, and referrals. I think it's, it's much more about doing the thing that most agencies really struggle with, which, which is promoting themselves and doing their own marketing.
0: Absolutely. I, on a lot of interviews, I've asked people, are <laughs> you your own best client? And 90% of the people that we're talking to say, is- you know almost shamefacedly say no they're too busy they they have but it's also a good thing in the fact that they have so much work coming to them from word of mouth and referrals that you know it's it's never been a need to to turn that on so as you as you're growing that uh that early budding um area of running your own agency craig who was the the first team members that you brought on and and how did you kind of how did you go about hiring the right people there
1: um well, the first was was probably an obvious one that many people do when you're moving from a sort of uh, a single business owner to to the next step, the first employee. And it, it was um, it was a virtual assistant yeah. um, who who started sort of part time and then became full time, and um, you know, and, and now is with us permanently. So it's um, yeah, that's how it started, and that sort of just released some of the because everyone does has to do you know administration and, and, and sort, of, uh, sort of some basic tasks booking diary uh, booking calendar meetings and, and so on uh, booking meetings and so on so that was um while we initially uh, brought Carrie in, and then she uh she started to help with a lot of other things she was she was fantastic in terms of her ability just to pick up you know uh, more and more from me over, over a period of time um the next hire was was then uh basically someone that would help with with content so um obviously content is the, is the fuel that drives a lot of marketing activity. So uh, more and more with the clients I was working with on an interim basis, they're asking for other support in other areas. So do you know someone that can do this? Do you know someone that could do that? And I always had a very good network being client side of different agencies and freelancers that we work with. So so that's kind of how the associate side of the business evolved. Yeah. Um, uh, but the next, the next person to come on board was really uh, my business partner um, mm-hmm. who uh, – I'd worked with another client who'd left and we sort of stayed in touch and then I managed to convince him to come and work alongside me. And that's when it started to really sort of become more of an agency. Then we built up the the content side with more writers. Um, and we, uh, we just hired someone in the lockdown, which, uh, has been an interesting process because, uh, we haven't really met properly. We, we, we met, uh, you know, before the, the pandemic and, um, We we liked him so much that we 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 hired him, uh, and we've never really spent any time since he came on board, which which has been strange. Probably more so for him, Um, because I think for us being a a kind of we've always tried to embrace the gig economy, we've always tried to embrace virtual working, so it hasn't been a massive adjustment for us to um, to 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 kind of adapt to the the new environment. We we kind of you know we run off Slack, we we regularly do Zoom calls like this. We've got a project management system that sort of binds everything and, and you know, schedules our our, our days. Um, we work through a tool called Harvest, which which is great to measure your productivity in your time. So ooh, we were kind of very much set up to work virtually and to work remotely anyway. So it hasn't been a massive adjustment. But I think, and this is what a lot of companies are facing now, is the I think they've seen the benefits of actually working remotely has driven productivity in. in quite significantly, in many respects, probably more so for companies that weren't doing it before. Yeah. So I think we've seen productivity increase by about 15% generally. Wow. Um, but we were pretty pro- productive before before yeah. um, the lockdown. Um, but I think there's a tension, coming back to the point of our recent hire, the, what you lose, obviously, is that social interaction and, and trying to build a culture. And I think companies are going to be sort of challenged with how they manage manage both. So there'll inevitably be a balance Mm. But I know of companies that are closing down their sort of fancy offices in London or um, wherever, and, and they're moving to sort of uh, these kind of WeWork type type environments. Yeah, and getting together
0: on a frequent basis. And... Got.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and those kind of environments are really kind of um, quite inspirational to working because they're you know it's it's they're very very stylish the way the decor's all put together. It's kind of very open plan. Uh, the ambience is kind of quite nice to work in, and, and we we've worked in places like that. And um, I think ultimately there'll be more of these kind of hubs where people kind of drop in and drop out. And mm. the company I worked for years ago that that's, they they did it probably fifteen years ago, and they they made the whole company work remote.
0: Fantastic. And they had a,
1: a really nice office in London that we would go to, and you have to book ahead to to get in there. But it was a really nice environment to work.
0: And and ten and years ago that was that was rare, but today it's you know yeah the,
1: the absolute normal yeah, but I think I think it will become the norm now. Absolutely, but I, I think, think you're right. Yeah, the, the social interaction piece certainly certainly Ben who joined us recently. You know, uh, it's quite easy for us. You know, if if you've got, you're further ahead in your kind of your, your life journey. You've got you know maybe a bigger house. You've got your own office at home. But when you're kind of younger, it, you might be working out your bedroom. You know, it's not quite the same experience working from home, so you've got to have these, you've got to bear these factors in mind. So, a lot of people, I think, I saw a survey yesterday that a large proportion of the UK UK workforce are desperate to get back to the office uh, when they've always probably hankered for actually working remotely, um, working from home. So, yeah, I think every situation is different. You've got people that uh, maybe got young children; they've got to do homeschooling, that can be different, uh, difficult. So. it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out in the next six to 12 months. It's good. it's
0: one of the most interesting times definitely that, that we've seen coming across. Um, Craig, one of the things that I find absolutely fascinating, and it's right there in your name and you referenced it just then, was Romy Associates. One of the things when we originally spoke is, that, is, is you said you've built your business based on the client <clears throat> needs rather than who you have in-house. Can you go into a little bit of depth with that for us?
1: Yeah, um, so I mean, obviously I've worked client side for for longer than I've actually been running an agency, and I had no prior experience to to, have to run an agency before we did this mm. um but having worked client side I've hired an awful lot of agencies in my time, and uh, I kind of there's certain things that you you like and certain things that you you don't like about how agencies operate um I was always impressed by the the kind of the business leaders that would come in and do the pitch, and uh, particularly if they had a marketing background as well. And you know, certainly worked with a couple of agencies like that. But then actually, when you start, you sign the contracts and you start the program, those people disappear, and you get a completely different set of people actually working on your account. And I just thought, you know, that's that's not how how I wanted to operate. That's not how I wanted to work. I also think you know the biggest reason that you hire an agency is, is. You you want ideas from them. You maybe want a bit of additional capacity. Um, But I think sometimes agencies can be quite arrogant that they 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 know it better than the the clients. And I I don't think that's always the case. And Mm. I think there's a nervousness that you've always got to provide the ideas. But certainly, I mean, I I was probably the biggest pain in the ass customer you could ever wish for as an for an agency. But yeah, I thought I considered myself pretty smart in terms of what we wanted to do. but quite often you found yourself having a running battle with the agency about, you know, whether it was the right course of action and so on. So we were really big into into content and thought leadership. Um, But often we'd hire an agency and they would try and force us down the campaign route and should be quite self-promoting. And and we knew that they didn't work as effectively. So Mm. um, again, back to your point, yeah, I think the other thing with agencies um, is particularly with the full-service agencies, it it can be quite – it's quite revealing when, when you start to work with them and you see the different skill sets, whether it's social media, whether it's uh, um, creative, whether it's telemarketing, lead generation. Um, they tend to be good at one or two things. They could be really strong on creating the branding side of it, but actually the, the, the lead generation is quite weak. Yeah. Um, and obviously investing in that as a, as a client, you, you want all of those functions to be on point as, as much as possible. For sure. Um, and I think... The, the challenge with that is um, marketing has become increasingly specialised. So you know, you can even look at LinkedIn now to, to to really get your head around that and to get the most out of it. You really need to know the, the, the platform inside now. So I think what what we were keen to do um, and have kind of continued this on is is to have um, have more of an on demand virtual team that has got mm-hmm. a, a range of different associates that are specialists in these different areas that that can be called upon when needed. So. It's not like, you know, certain companies might not need a, a, an SEO specialist full-time. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Also, it's it's quite, the, the kind of companies we work with typically are, are sort of mid-size and mm-hmm. it can be very expensive for you to bring in, you know, senior marketing director, um, a marketing manager, you know, events manager, you've got then all these different specialists there. It can be hugely expensive as an overhead to actually, to bring that in. You, you probably don't need these people full-time. Yeah. So um, so what we do is we, we replicate what, what a, a, a good marketing function would look like, and, and that's why we're quite different to other agencies. So you're effectively hiring a virtual marketing team, and then um, we come in, we devise a strategy based on what's right for the client. We, mm-hmm. we, we don't have a whole bunch of overheads sitting behind us that we have to sell, um, yeah. so we don't have a team of SEO people. Because guess what? If I come into an organisation and I've got a load of SEO people that need to be utilised, I'm going to tell you your strategy is SEO, irrespective of yes, whether that's has. the right thing for you or not. Yeah. So so we, we work with the client, we understand the business, we know the sector very well already, so that, that really helps. Um, and then we, we formulate a strategy and a plan, and then from our you know wide network of associates, we, we, we will bring people in as and when they need them. No, and think- obviously the client might, might also have their own agencies in certain areas, so they might really have an SEO team. And that's fine. We work alongside them, so mm. we're quite flexible, and we'll, we'll kind of work around the, the existing environment, the current situation. But, nice. but yeah, we think the other thing with agencies as well. As a client, um, there's nothing worse than finding out where an agency hasn't been transparent and have actually farmed out the work to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, you it, and you find out about it later. You find out about it later, and you know then you know that they're just kind of. Um, they're trying to say it's their own capability and and all the rest of it. Where you know it's it's quite clear that it's not. It's someone mm. else is doing that. Half. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that, but I think you should be quite transparent about it with uh, with, with the client.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I've, I really found it fascinating that from an approach point of view, um, it, it's mm. almost like you become the 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 provider of of the service, which is obviously the marketing, and then fulfillment. You've got your own your own team, but as you said, you're not carrying that weight of a team that you need to then on sell those services I, I found that a fascinating model because I think that's a really good way to to genuinely deliver the the needs of the client um, rather than to try and to sell um, the services that you that you have in the background so yeah that, that was fascinating for me um, when you start working with a client and and putting together that that strategy are you bringing in your associates in your mind are you saying okay well I should get you know, John. On this one, I should you know farm this out to this particular person. Have you? And, and you're talking about transparency then with the client. Are you then orchestrating that with the client? Okay, I've got Fred who's going to be looking after this area for you because he's a specialist in ABC. Like, is that how how that works with you? Well, I think we've we've got
1: sort of a, a methodology that that we um, we work with, uh, which we we kind of use it. The phrase internally demand probability, which which is trying to make sure that all of the aspects of strategy and tactics are kind of optimised, and the more that you do that, the better results that you'll get. So, um, to give you an example, um, there's aspects of the approach that we'll take um, that will start with the strategy, and the stra- strategy is very simple It's you know firstly defining who your ideal customer is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then the second part of that is defining the proposition that is going to best serve their needs, mm-hmm. and then. third part of it is is what are the best channels to actually um connect this connect the two so what story are you going to tell to those buyers based on your proposition and which which channels are you going to send it send that story through Mm. so um we, we try and make sure that all of those aspects are done as best as they can um one of the key things that a lot of companies we feel kind of you know um Take uh, or cut corners on is is around value proposition development, and it's one of the biggest challenges that many companies have. It's not not just about differentiating; it's about um, being distinctive as well. And there's a a big debate around what's more important in in sort of of, with a lot of CMOS um, on on both of those sides. I think if you get both right, you're a distinctive brand and you you differentiate. Then then you kind of um, you got the best of both worlds. Yeah. I think what a lot a lot of companies cut corners on um, actually really going out to the market and, and asking the market what, um, what their challenges really are, what their priorities are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give an example, uh, some time ago when I was working as an interim, I, uh, worked with a company that was, um, you've heard of Workday, the, the, the big HR and ERP uh, software yeah. company. So yep. they were, uh, a Workday consultancy and, mm-hmm. um, they'd worked on their proposition, um, as a board, as a, as a board, um, they never sort of courted any external um, uh, you know, contacts or, or potential buyers just to understand what, what really mattered to them. So their proposition was all really about um, standardisation, best practice processes, trying to reduce HR administration. So when we came in uh, when I came in, the, the, the first question was, well, how did you go about creating the proposition? And they said, well, it's sort of an internal workshop. And as I said, if you you got any insights from the market that that can work, because we were there, I was there to effectively run run the program to take the whole thing to market. So I I kind of insisted on speaking to just you know a handful of their um, contacts, clients, buyers, um, and when we went out and spoke to them, every single one that we spoke to had a completely. Um, different view of what what was important, and, and that was it, it was a shared view. So each of the five or six people we spoke to all had the same thing. Wow. So they were interested. Yeah. They they were buying Workday for, for its usability. Um, and what, what was most important to them was for, for years they've implemented software, HR software that hasn't really got you know got any adoption with with the employees. Um, but Workday was quite revolutionary. It's Very usable. You, you can use it on your mobile phone, or on your, on your tablet. Um, and what HR trying to do was obviously justify an investment in HR and, and typically measured on adoption and, mm-hmm. and usability was the key to that. And it also drives um, more self-service. So, so more employees take up the, the, the software. Obviously, they're doing things themselves and that has a, a really sort of positive impact on HR in terms of their, 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 their workload. Mm. So they were pointing in this direction with their proposition and actually the market was over here. Wow. So... Um, so it's quite significant. That's why I go back to. It's always about the message. So um, we actually, you know, changed the, the structure of their methodology, changed the structure of their go-to-market, and, and it was a successful program because it was focused on the right things.
0: Nice. Give me a brag. What was the what was the uptick?
1: Um, well, I can't. I, I don't think um, I was because it was a short-term project, so I wasn't actually uh, there when they started to close the the um, the actual deals because there's like a. 12, nine to twelve month sort of process, um, but we we certainly generated um, a pipeline of, of sort of four times what their revenue target was um, okay. in the space of probably about um, six months. Very so cool. so yeah, so I mean it was from a standing start, um, and yeah they they um, I'm, I'm, I know that they're still very successful in what they do. So um, very cool, yeah. Awesome.
0: And and again, I, I know now that they they actually have that same message as their forefront. Um, position in the marketplace, so they've they've rested on it pretty well, and, and obviously the growth is 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 clear to see. What's the um uh, what's been the client that has amazed you? As I, I, I'm looking at um, Romney Associates on the website and, and seeing your clients there and, and some of the past uh, you know environments that you've won. What's what's the one that's come across your desk and you've gone, whoa, I can't believe that we're we're running this campaign for these guys.
1: Um, yeah, I mean it's hard to hard to choose. Every, every, you know, all of our clients are kind of um, as I say, I think as any any agency, you've kind of got to make sure that you're you at the right level for you in terms of sophistication. So um, there's companies, right, that are far too sophisticated for us to work with, and, and you know, that's 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 just the way it is. Um, there's, but there's other companies maybe that you'd have to do a lot of work just to educate them on how to do things that, that could be quite um, time-consuming and maybe not a good fit as a result. But I think the, the clients we work with... Um, we work with very closely and, and, and they all kind of get it and they, they, yeah. they get us we get them um but i mean there's there's maybe um one that stands out that's probably a little bit different to to everyone else we work with which um is a is a company called see it now which uh, they they produce video technology for um, automotive retailers so these um video walkarounds. so if you're going to sell a car there'll be a salesperson in the dealership that will go around the car and, and you know talk to the car, show the car off in its best light. And it, it um has a significant impact on you know revenue uptake at, well, revenue sales for um for those dealerships, not just in terms of selling cars but also in the sort of the the after sales experience as well. Um so that, that's something that's a little bit different to what we'd normally um do uh because it, it's kind of sort of b2b stroke b2c in many respects yeah um, it's got a close connection with consumers as well um so so that's that and that's been a client we're working we've been working with for you know, about six to nine months now so but but you know it's hard to pick a client i'm sure the clients will be saying why didn't you pick us oh uh, um, yeah yeah true but, I, yeah, yeah. So, i
0: don't want to throw anybody under the bus there but you, yeah, you, you you really you, you, really do
1: you have... totally
0: throw me under the bus there but, no, um, no, no, no. but yeah you, you really do have an a, a a um a great client list on the side. And I'm sure there's there's you know others there that um you're working with and you know haven't put those through. But um one of the things you mentioned there and and the whole theme of being specifically focused in the B2B technology space, um you mentioned that it's you know clients that are more sophisticated, can't work with them, clients that you know aren't quite ready for that growth or that next level. Do you find yourself saying no to clients more often than yes? As in, are you filtering out the type of relationships, specifically to the
1: skill set, with Romy. I think we, we yeah, we, I think where we are in our life cycle, we, we're starting to be a bit braver. Um, I think when you start out, as most agency owners will tell you, if they're watching, um, when when you in the early days, you kind of take what comes your way, um, <laughs> and that may not necessarily be the the best thing. Um, but you're always battling between long-termism and short-termism, mm. you know, in terms of, and that's that's a, that's a big thing for marketing as well, um, in terms of, you know, it, we know it from a marketing perspective, it can take quite a long time to really get traction. Um, but you've obviously got short, short-term demands as well in terms of generating leads and, and opportunities. But, but yeah, I mean, when we first started, we, we worked with small companies, you know, really small companies, and, and um, I think, sometimes that has its own challenges in terms of the realistic expectations they have for the budgets that they have um, in terms of what can be achieved. So I think, yeah, we we are a little bit more sort of discerning now in terms of who we work with and that there has to be a good fit. And, and we're very upfront about that from yeah. from the get-go, really. So, um, you know, we, we kind of set expectations in terms of how long things might take to get traction and, and the process we go through. And then sort of give a, an indication of, of a range of different budgets, really, what could be achieved. So, nice. yeah, very cool. Um,
0: if you, it sounds like I mean, uh, putting the putting the whole team and vision and and strategy together with Romy has, uh, you know, just been a non-stop learning curve for you. Has there been anything on that side that's that surprised you? H- have you had to upskill, hit the books, you know, learn about anything in specifically? As a business owner, that you were surprised that came across your way.
1: Um, I'm going to say it's a good question. You always say that when you've, you're trying to buy yourself some time. Yeah, give yourself a few minutes. So, yeah. Um, what's is what's surprised? Let me ask you? it a
0: different way because that'll also buy you some time. What's what's been the thing as a business owner that has surprised you most about holding that position and being the the MD of a company?
1: Um. Yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, probably recently um when we've kind of tried to recruit um and we, we're looking to do that again very very soon. Um I think you know you, you sometimes we we create a website, we create a brand and, and you know we, we did we focused on that a lot last year and I think we were kind of nervous about unveiling that to the world a little bit and no one really cares to be honest. But um when when we uh went out to recruit, I think we were just kind of blown away by the response that we got um, right. and you, you kind of yeah so I, th- I think just in terms of the numbers of cvs and applicants that we had and that the, there was many good people that we, we interviewed during the process so i think it, it's just uh, it's quite humbling to see that because you, you you know you're a small business you're trying to grow and, and you sort of you're just a very small cog in a, in a very big wheel so to, to get such a response people wanting you know really keen to come work with you um, I think that was that was quite surprising and, and quite pleasing to, to obviously
0: see. Nice, and again, that's a that's a great reflection on the brand that you've been able to build, and the you know the the message that Romy's putting out to the marketplace to be able to um, have that as a a, a a guiding light that that really people are coming and being drawn to to what you've created, which is fantastic. Um, Craig, I'm so conscious of your time and and so grateful for the for the opportunity to bounce back and forth. Uh, I, I want to ask you this as a bit of a challenge, if if it's okay. One of the things that I ask the guests a lot, because our our listeners are so varied in their experience, they everyone from we can get started as a as a digital agent today. You know, we can go and get a client and run their their campaigns right now if you've got the skill and the passion and the knowledge to do so. All the way through to people that have been running, um, <laughs> talking about uh, one of our a favorite people she's running the um the marketing campaigns for the hard rock marketing group so we've got okay. people in lots of different <laughs> spaces so my challenge to you is this if we took you out of rummy associates right now and we took you to a foreign city and you had to grow again get started from day one again what would be the first two or three moves that you would make to to get there as quickly as you possibly could
1: yeah it's it's a it's a Challenging question. Um, I think you know I've I've been fortunate that I've managed to sort of um, get to where we've got to or we've got to where we've got to without having to do too much cold calling and hustling and a lot of it's been through referrals and and, um, and through networking. Um, Not saying that there's anything wrong with cold calling and and I think in that scenario that's probably the thing you'd have to do. Um, You'd have to get on the phone, you'd have to get out there, you'd have to hustle, go to networking events and do all the you know, the typical things you expect just to start getting some traction. Um, I think it it all comes down to relationships. Um, And I think that's particularly important, not just from a prospecting or new business point of view, but also when you're working with clients. Yeah, definitely. That's the biggest single thing for us is is relationships. Um, There's a great book from, I think it was a guy called um, Michael... Uh, I can't remember his second name it's a a Polish name I think but uh, he he wrote a book called Clockwork and um, he talks about the Queen Bee role and um, how you've got obviously Queen Bee is is pivotal to the to the hive and um, you've got to sort of figure out what in your organization is the single most important thing that's going to make you successful Mm -hmm. And, and for us it's about building relationships so everything's kind of pointing towards that so it means that you know, in, in an environment like we're in now where, you know, there's been one or two clients that have, have wanted to sort of slow things down a little bit, we, we've supported that and been flexible enough to, to go with it. Thankfully, now they're kind of spending the money and, and they're, they're seeing the opportunity where a lot of other people are putting budgets to to actually really go for it and, and try and create a brand, um, more brand awareness in this environment. Yeah. So I, I think going back to the point, you, you've got to hustle. You've, you've got to, you know... Um, Seen. identify you is that your your ideal customer is you've got to find a, a list of companies that fit that criteria you've got to think about your proposition and how you want to serve them and you just got to get in front of them in whatever way you can mm. um some of them some of those opportunities will be long-term relationships that you've got to keep nurturing others might have a, an immediate need and you might have to you know kiss a few frogs in the short term just to get some revenue um but you know it's it, you've got to look you've got to balance the short term and long term. And I think generally what most people say is you should have you should have a, a 55% focus on the long term and a 45% focus on the short term, if, if that helps. Um, nice. But um, yeah, and they also say if you're going to do business development, the, the biggest thing for small agency is trying to manage um, the delivery of your client work with obviously trying to find new opportunities. And I think generally it's sort of a four-fifth ratio where – if you can find a day a week to do more business development and uh, you know, in the early days that, that will kind of set you in a good, yeah, in, in a good stead.
0: Absolutely. Um, again, thank, thanks for the opportunity, mate. One of the things um, really right now in the world, we, we've talked a little bit about the impact that the, the pandemic's had, you know, on on relationship with, with your new hire. Hopefully you get to hang out with that person a little bit more uh, moving forward. Um, yeah. If you knew it was coming, if we were able to have this conversation in October last year, and we knew that come March, all of this was going to go down. What would you have done within the organisation of Romney Associates to prepare and to really do as well as you can when it hit?
1: So with the benefit of hindsight.
0: With the benefit of hindsight. Now that you know yeah. what has gone down, if you knew it was going to go down this way, how would you have prepared your business and your clients to be prepared for it?
1: Um, Well, I think we were were probably fortunate in that um, the technology sector has been fairly buoyant through this period. Um, So you just have to look at Zoom, for example, in terms of um, 43 billion, I think, in three months. Um, So I think, you know, all of our clients have have been um, fairly well shielded from the the pandemic from a business perspective, although there have obviously been concerns about um, the long term. Yeah. Uh, and about their own clients. But I, th- I think there's certain things that have happened in the last three months that um, if we had been better prepared, maybe we could have acted on more quickly. Um, I think the first thing that most people were concerned about from a sales and marketing perspective was, should we actually continue to do it when there's a lot of people suffering and you know, needing a lot of help? And you're know, you, you sort of trying to manage the message where you're not looking in any way profiteering or opportunistic in this environment where also just carrying on as normal and and being tone deaf to what's going on. I think getting the right balance, with the messaging has been probably the biggest thing that hit most people first. And and now it's all about recovery and, you know, how, how do we, how do, what do we do in the next um, six to 12 months? And there's obviously always an eye on budgets and and getting the most out of the, the money that you do actually spend. Um, but I think for most people that aren't directly impacted from a revenue perspective, uh, and that they're still relatively healthy businesses. I think um, the smart ones are, are spending more on marketing because they see it as an opportunity where there's a having to make cuts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Make, so, and as I, I said, I making think... sure that the their messages is, is crafted to to suit the times, obviously. And if they're doing that well, then we, we we're hearing it across the board that there are, there are obviously <laughs> suffering. Like let's, let's not, paint that as the rosy picture there's a lot of people out there that are that are doing it tough and business owners that are closing their doors but there's also a lot of upswing from people who are marketing savvy that are able to share their message in new and and different ways that are seeing big upswings which is you know, again, it's it's hard to balance the the positive. You've got to
1: be sensitive to what's going on, and um, and you know, you've got to avoid the cliches. There's loads of cliches out there, and you know, everyone keeps saying in these uncertain times, or we're here to help, and all that you know bullshit. And I think you've got to avoid that sort of stuff. Just yeah. and if you haven't really got a proposition that helps people in this current time, then you know, you have to be careful about how you try and leverage in any way what's going on yeah. um, and try and avoid that if, if it's all possible. But I think it, it's, yeah, sensitivity and empathy is really, really key at the moment. Um, but it, ultimately businesses still need to continue and they, they need to drive revenue. They need to sell. Um, so again, it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act that you've got to be very careful with. So I think you, you need people that um, whether it's inside your organization or whether it's an agency that that um, is, is kind of very on the money in terms of how all that's kind of shaking out. So I think, yeah, going back to October, if we'd have been as prepared as we can around all those sorts of things, I think um that's what we would have chosen to do with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. And I don't think we've I think we have reacted pretty quickly and adjusted pretty quickly to what's happened, to be fair.
0: Yeah, cool. Well I think the um um the reason I ask that is is purely this. I think we've got more of it to come. So that that yeah. foresight hindsight, it's almost like we, we we're, not, we're not through it, you know, and, and obviously there's more changes and more flexibility that's needed. So let's see if we can get that growth for the next 6 to 12 months, taking into account what we think is going to be a changing world and, you know, the way the market swings. So let's hope everybody's able to look a little bit forward and think how can we use what we know now to already prepare for that that uh, next 6 to 12 months and, and see where we go from there. Yeah, it,
1: I think there's inevitably a focus uh, or a sort of a, a lean towards short-termism just to yeah, get through. Of um, course. But, I think, you know, marketing and, and developing brands and growing businesses is much more of a long-term game. So you've got to try somehow to keep an eye on both. Um, yeah,
0: definitely.
1: But, yeah, you, you've still got to get through the next 6 to 12 months and no one really knows what's going to happen. But I think, for for me, what what I hate to see is um, negativity. I think you want, you know, it's it's about confidence, everything. You know, markets run on confidence, and I think the more bullish and uh, and confident we can be, you know, that's just going to have a, a, a better impact on all of us generally. Yeah, I so, think So um, Trying to avoid negativity at all costs, but I mean, the, the 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 press is full, the media is full of negativity, and I think that's uh, that's a that's a shame. I, mean, I think if you listen to it,
0: you just want to close the door and pull the covers up, and yeah. you know. And as you said, if we can be. Um, positive in that market space and and keep things moving forward then everybody wins and try and try and push that positive message forward in terms of we are keeping trading we're keeping moving keeping the world going like let's not ignore it but stay positive at the same time i think yeah yeah, you're right it was it benefits everybody along that way Absolutely. absolutely absolutely Guys, this is this is Craig Taylor. He's the MD of Romy Associates, an incredible agency out of the UK that have built specifically in the B2B technology sector. Um, how can people keep in touch with you, Craig? How can they see what you're doing and the exciting stuff that that's coming along the way with, with Romy? What's the best way for, for people to see that?
1: Yeah, the obvious way is just, uh, you know, come to our website, which yep. is um, romy-associates.com. Um, make sure we've got so the links
0: on, on the show notes there for everyone as well.
1: Great. Yeah, um, we're, we're Pretty active on LinkedIn, you can find us there as well. So, um, but yeah, first portal call definitely comes to our website, and uh, you can learn a lot more about us there.
0: Fantastic. There's a there's a, some really great blog articles on your site. So, again, it's, it's romy associates.com forward slash blog there's some great articles there that revolve around marketings and you know the ideas that craig and the team have, have brought out into the market craig again thank you so much for the opportunity to bounce back and forth man i've really enjoyed it i look forward to hearing how uh, how we're going over these next six to twelve months and hopefully we can keep in touch
1: absolutely it's been a real pleasure yeah. cheers man thanks, thanks again cheers